So um, Tom and I get together for our elder meetings on Thursday nights usually, and we do it. We have a Bible study with a bunch of guys, and then we end up going over to Gallatin. That's where Tom lives, and we go to different places and have our uh, member meet or our elder meeting. Um, we end up staying out real late in Gallatin at night at restaurants, okay? And it gets real weird. Um, we did at the McDonald's just off the square in Gallatin, if you know where that is. McDonald's is kind of like the, the restaurant version of Walmart, okay? You know what I'm saying? Because, like, Walmart, you never know what you're going to see when you roll up in that joint, okay? You don't know what they're gonna, but people are going to be wearing. You never know, like, what kind of drama is going to happen. McDonald's is the Walmart of restaurants. And we are in McDonald's. It's probably 9, 9.30 at night. And we were not aware of our surroundings, but we became aware very quickly. Tom and I are talking about some important things in, in the business of the church and, and talking about in, who we need to pray for and different things like that. And there's this kid who is out. It's August, okay, at this point. So we're backtracking a little bit. And there's this kid who's out. And school has already started back in Sumner County, and he's at McDonald's. And it was probably later than 9. It was probably 10. And him and, him and his family are rolling in to eat at McDonald's at 10 o'clock, and, like, school's the next day. And I'm going, what is happening? And we're trying to talk, but I'm just being aware of the weird situation. And this kid apparently has whooping cough because every time he eats something, it's like this terrible cough. And I'm like, take the kid to the hospital. It lasted the whole time we were in there. We were in there for almost two hours. Somebody needed to give that kid a respirator. It was not cool. And then they had these guys, we had these frat guys on the other side of us. And they were, who were, had, we were speculating wildly about who God was. They were like, man, I think God might be a pigeon. I mean, stuff like this way out and left field stuff. I think we are like the pimple on a cosmic turtle floating on top of waves of celestial love. And I, me and Tom are like, going, what is happening? And then this guy walks in. It's August, and he's got those thick Carhartt all-weather overalls that will keep you cold or keep you warm at like sub-zero temperatures in August. You remember how hot August was? And he rolls into that place and he smells like a man who has been wearing those Carhartt overalls in August outside all day. And he rolls in and everybody in the place is like, "Woo!" and he has this tracker and he sees Tom and I, and it's almost like, I'm going to ask these guys for food. And we were like, we did. We, we fed the guy in Jesus' name, but it was just like everybody in that place had lost their mind. And we agreed never to meet at McDonald's again <laughs> because it's the Walmart of restaurants. Oftentimes, we, we miss good stories and we miss things in life because we are unaware of what's going on around us. The Gospels help us to, to realize and be aware of the nature of the world. In Mark chapter 5, we'll be this morning, Mark chapter 5, we have another encounter where Jesus encounters somebody in trouble. In this particular place, he encounters a man who, it's wild. It's, 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 it's wilder than our, our McDonald's story. And we see this in Mark chapter 5, verse 1. If you have your Bible, turn there. If not, it'll be on the screen in just a second. Mark chapter 5, verse 1, it says this. They came, and this is Jesus and his disciples. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes, which is a predominantly Gentile area, so not Jewish, but Gentile area, located near Israel. And so that's where they are. You probably don't know where the Gerasenes are, but that's where, we, that's where they are. Verse 2, and when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, 
immediately there met him out of the tombs, cemetery, graveyard, a man with an unclean spirit. And he lived among the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces and no one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs in the mountains, he was crying out and cutting himself with stones. Okay, so Jesus, and if you kind of backtrack in the chapter four of Mark, what's happened is Jesus is one of those famous stories. Jesus is on the water with his disciples. A storm came up and they're like, we're gonna die. And Jesus is like, chill out guys. You're not gonna die. Peace be upon you. And he, and he stands up and he says, See, be still, and it's silent. Then, after the weird night on sea, where the disciples thought they were going to die, and Jesus saved the day, they pull up on the shore, and what happens? Immediately, as in Mark's gospel, he has these a lot. It's like just as soon as they hit dry ground, a wild man, naked, deranged, living in a cemetery, We just had Halloween. This is a Halloween type story. He emerges from the tombs and comes running at Jesus. And we get a little bit of backstory on this guy. He is not well adjusted. Okay. He is nude often. He sits howling at night, crying out. He becomes such a burden to the people of the town that they've tried to chain him up or shackle him or get him some help at some point. And he keeps breaking the chains. And it is one of those places, those sides of town where you're like, I'm not going to go over there because of that guy. If you've ever been to downtown anywhere and you see this person and you're like, I don't want any part of that. I think I'm going to walk over to fourth Ave to miss what's happening right there. This is a person that by all accounts is deranged, but the Bible lets us in to see something that's actually going on with the man it says he has an unclean spirit. Now, I want to be very clear about this. The Bible does not view mental illness as demon possession. In fact, the Bible sees it this way, okay? Let's be very clear about this. The Bible sees physical problems as physical problems, and it sees spiritual problems as spiritual problems. They're not always unrelated. In fact, most of the time they are related in some way, but in this particular case, this man doesn't have mental illness. The Bible talks about people who have, have, have different physical maladies, and they talk about people in, in a different way, those that have spiritual issues going on. And this man has an unclean spirit. At least at this point, we know he He is being oppressed and hurt by a demon possessing him. Now, most of us are bare, our first, even if, even if you, if, if you trust Christ and and, and you've been knowing the Bible and, and you believe most of us have a little inward scoff when it comes to demonic things and to spiritual things, because we live in a culture as very materialistic, not that we want stuff, which we do, but that we think about everything in terms of, of, of rationalistic materialism, where all that exists is what we can see. And that is, not the, that is not the presentation of reality that the Bible gives, especially Jesus. Now, we love that story that happened right before. We talk about a story all the time that happens in Mark chapter four about Jesus calming the sea, and he's got power over the natural realm. And we use that a lot of times, probably, we probably interpret it incorrectly. You got a storm in your life. Jesus will calm that storm. 
and we love that story, then this one doesn't get preached often because it gets weird. You got this, as soon as they pull up, this guy (laughs) running at Jesus, naked, cut up, bearing the scars of demon possession, and he shows up and he has got an issue. Once you get the Bible, it's not some pre-scientific thing. It understands that there are physical problems and it understands that there are spiritual problems and demons and the, the, the supernatural is real. And it's pervasive in this man's life. But what happens? Jesus speaks to this demon. This is, let's just go ahead and acknowledge, this is an uncomfortable situation for the disciples too. If at any point, no matter where you are, if a crazed looking naked person runs up to you, it's going to be weird. Right? If not, then you need to get, you need to get some help with your life. You got something going on. Okay. So this Jesus shows up and this man with the spirit comes up verse six. And when Jesus saw him from afar, he saw it coming. What does it say? He and when he saw sorry, the, 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 the demon, the demonic man, the man possessed by a demon sees, and when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and he fell down before him. The man who couldn't be shackled by chains comes and kneels at the feet of Jesus. And then we see this in verse seven and crying out with a loud voice, he says, what have you to do with me? Jesus, son of the most high. Now, here's what happens. This man is possessed by this demon, and the demon is speaking using this man's voice. And this demon recognizes who Jesus is. This is the first time in Mark's gospel, they've been called the son of God, but this is the first time he's called the son of God most high. It is basically saying you are God in the flesh, and this demon is acknowledging the power of Jesus. So we see here, going on, we say, and crying out in verse, uh, it, he's, he recognizes in verse seven, he says, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high? He says, I adjure you by God, do not torment me. So this man who could be shackled by no one is now at the feet of Jesus. And he's saying, the demons inside of him are saying through his own voice to Jesus, do, do not torment me because they recognize that Jesus has this authority and power over the spiritual realm. And then verse, verse eight says, for he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. So Jesus is already saying, come out of the man, come out of the man. And the demons trying, he knows he has to give in, but he's trying He's trying to weasel out of it and help. Have you ever told your kids anything like to go brush their teeth? I don't know why this is so difficult. It's such a difficult thing for them to want to do, but it's like, they're going to reason with you. Like you're asking, like, can I remove, can we remove your ears? Okay. Can we, can you go to like, can you do something? Cause it's like Judson, when I ask him, go brush his teeth. He's like, dad, can I have five more minutes? I want to prolong dental hygiene for that much longer. Now, I want to know, I want you to get this. He is going to brush his teeth. That's, that's going to happen, right? It's, when I entertain his negotiations, it's not because I don't have the upper hand in the situation. You know that, right? Okay. He's six. I am 35. Okay. I will make him brush his teeth, but I entertain 
the negotiations for a while, right? Doesn't mean I'm not in control of the situation. It just means I'm entertaining the question. That's what happened. Jesus tell him, come out. It's not that Jesus doesn't have power over this man, power over this demon. He absolutely does. But the demon's trying to negotiate and Jesus is let hearing him out before he takes care of business. Okay, that's what we have happening. So we see this, verse 8, Jesus was saying, come out. Jesus didn't fail. Jesus is just letting this guy negotiate with him. The demon's like, please don't torment me. Then verse 9, and Jesus said to him, what is your name? This is where it gets just, just freaky. And he replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. That would have been like hair standing up on, on edge. I, I don't know if I've ever encountered a, a, a person who is demon-possessed, but I, I was, I'm pretty sure that when we were in Haiti and we were driving down the road, this lady walked beside us howling at us for about two or three miles. She had hair that was, um, had been dyed, which when their hair is dyed over there, a lot of times it has to do with the occult and voodoo. And this lady's hair was dyed, dyed like the voodoo priests or priests, priestesses would do. And we're with this whole group of Christians. And this lady just would, like she screamed at us. Sorry, Bristol. Uh, right as she was about to go to sleep, rocket mat. Okay. Um, Right as we, we, she would stop, she would try to jump out in front of the Toyota Tacoma that there was 30 of us in. Yeah, it was weird. And we were just crammed in this thing, people sitting on the roof. And she would just scream at us and scream at us and scream at us. And it was like she was like staring at us. And we got this uneasy feeling. I don't know that to be the case, but I do know that demon possession is real because the Bible talks about it. And I will say this, when the guy comes and he says, my name is Legion, we are many, you know you're in a, I mean, just, that's, that's the stuff that makes horror writers excited. He says, I'm legion and we are many. Now, what happens? Verse 10, and he begged him earnestly not to send him out of the country. The demons using this man's voice are said, don't send me out of this country. Don't, don't torment me. Don't destroy this wickedness that I have going on. And so Jesus is hearing, not that he doesn't have the power. He's like, they're trying to, there's a negotiation happening here and Jesus has the upper hand, but he's letting this demon have his say. And all of, all the while the people are watching this take place. His disciples are, this is meant to show who Jesus is. So he's letting it play out. And then we got this in verse 10. Verse 11, now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, okay? So picture, if you will, this scene taking place, the boat pulls up, this crazy nude man with all the scars comes up, we are legion, and it's getting real weird, and then over to your left, you got pigs, all the smells that go along with that, you're welcome for that pig snort. Um, They got these pigs over here on the hillside, which reminds you that you are not in a Jewish country, you were in a Gentile area because pig was an unclean animal, okay? It's a delicious animal. Thank God he made all things clean in Jesus, bacon. But these things are over here in the side being all gross. Because if you've ever seen a pig, they are gross. Because it's, it's like, hey, you eat like a pig is not a compliment, right? 
Oh, look at you. If you guys take your girl out on a date, she's chowing down. Don't be like, oh, this is so sweet. You just eat like a pig. You're going to get hurt. They're not pretty animals. And these pigs on the hillside, verse 12, and they begged him. The demons are begging Jesus. Send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. And he gave them permission. He gives them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and they entered the pig and the herd numbering about 2,000. Okay, 2,000 pigs. 2,000 pigs. Let's put this into perspective. And by no, don't, don't take this too far because you might get offended. I'm not trying to offend you. But on any given Sunday, we got about 100 people here. Okay, 100, 120, 125. That's with kids and everybody. So that's 100. If you, 20 times more. So imagine if we were all pigs, okay? Not saying you're pigs, you look wonderful, okay? This is not one of those things. But say we were all pigs. 20 times the amount of people that showed up today. That's how many pigs in this field. The demons leave and they enter into these pigs and all 2,000 of these pigs die. These 2,000 pigs. Because what does it say? Some, and he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came and entered the pigs and the herd, numbering about 2,000. And they rushed down a steep bank into the sea, and they drowned in the sea. Now, we know something. Pigs can swim. Okay? There's a whole... There's a whole, um, uh, in Jamaica, there's an island. Okay, I think Jamaica or the Bahamas where they, where they let pigs on the beach. And there's like, it's pig beach, which looks really cute until you've actually seen video of the pig beach, which I have. And the pigs are still pigs. They're just on a beach. And they do their pig things on the beach, which makes the beach not as good because of the pigs. Right? That's, that's weird and not good. And I'm like, I don't want to swim in that. Like frolic on the beach, pig stuff happening in not great these pigs pigs usually can swim so what happens is they've become so deranged and so so influenced by these demonic powers that they two thousand of these things run off a steep embankment into the water and they drown to death and then you got bobbing pig carcasses everywhere that is a weird story am i right and i want you to notice something real quick we are often unaware of the spiritual nature of life and the things going on around us because it is the unseen, but the Bible pulls back the veil and helps us see things that are going on. And I want you to get this. We must be aware of spiritual warfare around us. It's real and it is all around us. Now, this is not a call for you to look for it under every nook and cranny or like some do to say there's a spirit of this in this chair there's a spirit of laziness in this chair that's not what i'm calling you to do but just to recognize this that the spirit there is spiritual warfare all around and ephesians chapter 6 10 through 12 talks about this paul after talking about the gospel and what, what it means to be truly saved by God's grace through faith. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 through 12, it says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And then, you've heard this before if you've been in church at any amount of time. Maybe this is your first time. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. This was like, when, I, when there was a 
fall festival that happened. You know that one kid that would always come dressed up as a knight because he was the full armor of God guy, okay? That's, that's the situation. We, you've heard the full armor of God. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And sometimes we've kind of cutesified this to where it's just like the armor is kind of the fake plastic armor. Have you seen a kid wear, you know, where the, the thing does, it doesn't fit on their head just right and it kind of flops over. And now you can buy like, like the, the fake armor at, at Dollar Tree. Every time we walk in there, Judson's like, Dad, I need to buy this armor. We think about the armor of God as something fake and cutesy, but here it's talking about standing against the schemes of the devil. And then verse 12 in Ephesians, Paul says this, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. And this idea of wrestling is a knockdown drag out fight where you're fighting for your life. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Our predominant problems are not against people. If we are in Christ, but we wrestle against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic power over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And later, and earlier in Ephesians chapter two, it got, you know, Paul writing on the inspiration of the spirit call says that, that Satan is the ruler of this world, this current evil age. And he is, he's a defeated ruler by Christ and his cross, but there is a, there is wickedness at work in the world. And there's blindness and and there's death and there's spiritual forces at play everywhere. And our battle is against them. The gospel pulls back the veil and lets you know that there are spiritual forces at work in your life right now. There are no coincidences. I want you to know something the whole time this morning, and this fit in perfectly. And I'm not going to tell you, I'm not going to tell you that it was, it was demonic necessarily, but Hey, if the shoe fits, we had practice this morning. This sound system has been on for two hours. Why does the old time gospel hour or whatever that was come on in the middle of praise. And we're going to talk about spiritual warfare. Cause that was really distracting. And Tom did a good job of mentioning that, but it happened. And why do you think that it seems like when you were at your lowest or at your most stressed, that, that the things come in your life that give you absolute conniption fit, and notice the straw that broke the camel's back. If you're in Christ, you have to realize something. I'm not telling you to look and, and call everything a demon and be like the church lady. Could it be Satan? <laughs> but I am calling you to, to realize this, that the, there is spiritual warfare is real. And we walk around with so little power because we have bought a lie, the lie of our culture that everything is just material. And we have the, we have the weapons to fight and win in this life. And we do not have the weapons in and of ourselves as human beings to fight and win. Because I want you to see here, this demon is bad news. Nobody could shackle this guy, right? He broke every chain. And you know what? When they're talking about chains and shackles, you would think that a group, a city could come with enough power to take one guy and shackle him up. But this demon could not be held by human means. Secondly, this demon was of such great power. It's called legion. There were so many of them in this man's possession. There was a there, legion could mean, could mean up to 6,000 because a Roman legion could have up to 6,000 people in that. They were working in concert like that, 2,000 pigs. So at least, I think we could even guess that there was probably at least 2,000 demons because 
one demon per pig. Ran them right off. And what happens to these pigs? The reason that Jesus sent them into the pigs is not to make some poor farmer bankrupt. It was to show the destructive power of the demonic and evil and to show that it has left this man and how tormented this man has been and now how destructive evil and sin can be. Do you think any human had any chance of stopping that demonic force? No. That's why the God-man shows up and he has all power. And, and I want you to get this. We walk around getting, getting it handed to us all day long because we fail to recognize the power of, of the demonic and our lack of power, our puniness, our wimpiness to do anything spiritual on our own, of our own good. And if we are to win in this battle and we are to fight, we have to have the power of Jesus in our lives. So when we wake up and we go to work, we have to be seeking power because we will get destroyed by the demonic if we are not walking in the spirit with the power of God in our lives, knowing Jesus. Because here's, what, here's who Jesus is. The demons are begging, please give us, give us permission to do this. Jesus has all power over all the demonic. And there's some nights in anguish and, and prayer where you just, you just need to just, in Jesus' name, I don't have the power, but God, you do. My family is being ripped apart by this. My life is being ripped apart by this. Our church is struggling here. And you just need to say, Jesus, you're stronger. Pray in faith, believing it. That is what we have to hold on. We have to run to the power of God. In Christ, because these demons can't overtake him. He will destroy them. There's a fatal blow that's been struck against Satan, the ruler of this age. And there's a day coming when the king will come and make his kingdom reign forever. But until that day, we as the people of his kingdom, which is here but not yet, are supposed to fight against and rage against the gates of hell. And if we do it on our own, we will get it handed to us time and time again. It's like me trying to fight an NFL lineman. It's not going to go well for me or like to fight a whole NFL line. It's not going to work out well. I have no power compared to that. But in Jesus, we have so much power. There was a man who was rude to my wife at Toys R Us many years ago. This guy, I don't even, why are you going to be rude to somebody at Toys R Us? Toys R Us is a fun place, okay? It's not here anymore. It makes me sad. When, the, when Jeffrey the Giraffe left, I cried, okay? It's no more. We were at Toys R Us. This guy was talking really ugly to my wife, but the thing he did not notice was my dad and my brother and I were on the other aisle. And we turned that corner. That guy looked like he had <laughs> seen a ghost. He was like, oh my gosh. So you got a problem, sir? You want to go? It's not like we're necessarily intimidating, but there's three of us. We'll take you out. Talk to my wife like that. I'm going to take this easy bake oven. Okay? 
left alone. We don't have any power. We have to seek and be in this walk in the spirit and, and come to Christ and, and claim the power of Christ, believe the power of Christ in our life to overcome. The gates of hell won't prevail against his church. We, we have this great, great comforter and empower the spirit of God who points us to Christ. And we have the victory in Jesus. And we need to know that though we might be on outnumbered, we have to run. The reason we live with such little power is we fail to recognize the situation that we have such little power and that we're in a fight we cannot win on our own. But Jesus has the power. And also Jesus brings a peace that is unexplainable. Verse 14, the herd fled. The herdsmen fled. You know why? Because they had 2,000 pigs that were in their care that are now drowned. And they don't want to get blamed for that. Um, it's like you borrow in the car. Like, um, I blew up the car <laughs> and all the other cars in the parking lot at Walmart. Okay, I mean, like, it's bad. Like, all their sheep are gone. So the herdsmen, they fled and they told it in the city and in the country. Hey, hey, we didn't do this. You guys, there's 2,000 pigs. They're bobbing in the lake. This wasn't us. It was Jesus. And, and so they're letting it be known. And the people came to see what it was that had happened. I'll be honest with you. If 2,000 pigs drowned in Hartsville, the vidette would be their covering. You take a drive by. Don't lie. That's why. I, that's, have you ever noticed like one traffic incident will stop traffic for 7,000 miles in Nashville? Because everybody's like, look at that. I've never seen a flat tire before. I better drive at a, a snail's pace. Can you imagine? I mean, the whole town's like, did you hear about the 2,000 pigs bobbing up there? And the guy that they couldn't contain, who was yelling all the time, who would scare us when we went to place flowers on Grandma Jean's grave. You remember that guy? You know, the naked guy? Be like, oh, okay. He's like, left the, the demon left him and went in these pigs. We got to see this. So what happens? And they came to Jesus and they saw the demon possessed man. The one who had had the legion. It's being very clear about who this is. Sitting there. Where was he? Raging and running through the tombs. Screaming. Unshackled cutting himself, acting like a maniac. And now he is sitting, clothed, which is important, because he was naked. And now he is fully clothed, and he's sitting nicely, and he was in his right mind. You just see his hair combed back, just hanging out with Jesus. And they were afraid. Now, the people here are afraid of the peace that Jesus has brought in this man's life. He has, the rage has resulted in this peace. And I want you to be clear. When we talk, at, when we have a message about spiritual warfare, I want you to know the, the reality of it and the dangers of it and the power of it. But I also, it's not about that. I want you to see this. There is a, there is the power of Jesus brings peace in our lives. And we must run to the power of Jesus through prayer and his word and fellowship and service and all these different things and, and, and fellowship with one another and, and, and talking and, and admonishing one, one another to, to follow the Lord and to, to encourage one another. We need that because there is a peace available to the people of God through Jesus. 
Jesus that, that is, surpasses understanding because it gives us a real true hope. A lot of people say it, but we believe it, that all things work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. There is victory and peace amongst the means of grace that God's given us in our life. The word, you're hearing it preached, the fellowship of, of believers coming to church, fellowship of, of, of encouragement, prayer, worship, all of those things, service, all those things are there and we can know peace in the middle of all of this. So know this, your situation is not just physical in nature. Everything in our lives has a spiritual component and there might just be spiritual warfare going on around you right now. This is not to debilitate you, but it's to remind you that if you're in Christ, you have the power that leads to peace through the spirit of God and the means that he's given you of grace. And you need to realize that you will be destroyed if you don't cling to Christ and you don't remember that he has you firmly in his grasp, the one who all spiritual authority rests in. You know what happens with this man? We see the power of Jesus. We see the peace that Jesus can bring, but we see this, there's a new passion is awakened in verse 16. And those who had seen it described it to them that had what had happened to the demon possessed man and to the pigs. So everybody's talking about this. Remember small town dynamics in verse 17. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. Okay. They missed the point. This man was a raging mess. He was a dumpster fire. He was a, it was bad news. This guy's life was just terrible pain because of this demon possession. They missed it. They wanted him to leave because you've all, you've all killed 2000 pigs. You've done quite a lot of damage. We need you to leave. Okay. Instead of seeing it for what it was, it was a mirror. It was like, get out of here. And then we got verse 18. And as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with the demon begged him that he might be with him. Jesus, can I stay with you? Which we understand. This man was tormented day and night and lived in the cemetery. And the next thing you know, Jesus shows this terrible affliction is over. And he sees Jesus as, for all who he is, as a savior. He says, can I go with you, Jesus? And Jesus, this is opposite of what he does in, in, in Jewish settings. He doesn't tell him to be quiet or, or to not tell anybody about this, which people ended up doing anyway. What does he tell him to do? Verse 19, and and he did not permit him. No, you can't go with me, buddy. But go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis, which is 10 cities. So there's these 10 Jewish or Gentile cities that were located in this area. And so this guy goes from this demon-possessed man afflicted to a missionary and he is telling about all that Jesus has done in these 10 cities. And he went away and he began to proclaim in the Decapolis, which means 10 cities, how much Jesus had done for him and everyone marveled. So this man who has known in the midst of this spiritual oppression has known the power of Jesus and his peace has now been given a passion to let Jesus be known in this city And people were in awe and wonder. And what he got to say was, look what he has done in me. And I wonder if 
if we have lost a passion or if we have a passion to see Jesus be made much of for what he has done in us. And I warn you, the power of passion is immense. You ever heard of a crime of passion? Somebody walks in, wife's cheating on him, and before you know it, it goes off the rails, and law's called, and caskets are bought, and it's a bad news, and they call it a crime of passion. Passion can lead you to do some wild things. But passion can also, if you really have it, can lead you to do some extraordinary things and will lead you to give of yourself. We think about it all the time. We think of an athlete who has a passion for the game and they, have, they give and commit themselves to being in the best shape possible to attain their goal and to win. And I want you to, I want you to get this, okay? Those of us who truly understand our position of helplessness and sin and, and, and completely being dominated by the powers of evil, when we know that Jesus intercedes on our behalf and took our unbelief and made it belief and he took our dead hearts and made them alive, we now know his power of salvation. And now we have a peace available to us in the midst of this. We have power available to us in the midst of spiritual warfare. We, should, we ought have a passion to glorify him and make him known. And I want you to think about this. If you pursue Jesus like you did your other passions in life, it would make a huge difference. And if we saw this church as a place where a bunch of people who are passionate about Jesus get together to let the world know how passionate we are about Jesus, we wouldn't have to worry about the fact that we are constantly looking for people to fill in in the nursery and in the kids' ministry. You know why? Because your passion would say, I want kids to know Jesus. And we wouldn't have to worry about trying to fill a coffee bar or make sure we got people to serve in this area and that because it would be, I have a passion for Jesus. And a lot of times, the church's number one problem is not with strategy, but passion. Do you have a passion for Jesus? Because if you see your state and you see his power and you know his peace, passion is inevitable. And if the absence of passion is a huge problem. And so here's what I ask us to do. I'm going to invite Clint to come up. And we're going we're gonna to respond in two ways. First off, we're going to respond. He's going to play, and we're going to be in a time of prayer. Some of you might be up against it, and your soul might be so worn thin. And I want you to, to do something today. I want you to spend some time in prayer, pouring out your heart to God, asking him to help you overcome. And if there's spiritual warfare in the nature, in, in what's going on, ask, ask for help and power. Let it be known to him. So many times we don't confess what's going on or just say, we say he knows. No, he wants to hear from us, our hearts on those situations. And so I want to, if there is something that's just just been dominating you, some sin, some life situation has been dominating you, run to Jesus and and plead for his power in the situation. Secondly, if that's, if if your life is, man, it's, it's just great. The next thing is not just plead for power, but also 
plead for passion. Plead for power and passion. God, give power in my difficult situations to help me endure, to help me be a light, to help me be live for your glory. But God, give me a passion for your name and help me know how to, how to run after you and obey you and serve in your name and serve here at the church for your glory and serve in my community for your glory. Give me a passion. Power and passion. So if you would, bow your head and close your eyes and then we'll respond with a song.
Let's um, let's lift our voices one more time, believing that truth that Jesus makes the darkness tremble. So if we could just sing that. your word says is what we believe. And so we don't understand or we can't see the demonic, but we know it's, we know it to be real. And I think if we're honest, Lord, that even if we, in our unbelief of, of, of that, even if we share some of that, we know it to be true. We know that there's the big ugly out there, that there are things working against us and working against faith and working in this world to bring hopelessness and to bring death and to bring all sorts of wickedness and evil, personal evil out there. But we know this. We don't glorify that. We glorify Jesus because you, you've beaten death. You have power over the natural world. You have power over the supernatural world. The church is yours, and you promised that the gates of hell would not overcome it. And we are in this war, and we're not the ones being assaulted, God. The, your kingdom, we are the ones on the assault. And so we pray that every stronghold would be destroyed. And that those things that are at work in the lives of those folks in here to bring destruction, that you would overcome in their lives through the, the power of the Spirit and the means of grace. God, would you help that person hurting and overwhelmed to know that in Jesus there is victory? The person on their deathbed who trusts Jesus has more victory in their life than the strongest person in the world who does not know Christ. And we are thankful of the power that you have given us through your spirit, God. And we believe in in Jesus and we may want to make his name known. So help us to do that 
God, bring power in our lives through your spirit, God, and give us a passion for your name, a passion to make you known, a passion for, for the lost to know you, God, a passion for us to live lives of worship and obedience and service and love for your glory and for people to know on mission for you, God. Give us power and passion. We know that we have been given everything we need for life and godliness. So we're not asking for something we do not have, but we pray, God, that we would walk in truth. We would realize the severity of our enemy and the glory of our champion, Jesus. Would you help us to walk in that? Encourage the discouraged, Lord. Let faith rise up in the lost. God, let us be a force, empowered and passionate to let Jesus be known. Help us to be that type of church and those type of people. In Jesus' name, amen.